0: Uh, This morning's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 27, which can be found on page 1005 of the Church Bibles. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the school, they offered him wine to make, drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by divided him, wagging their heads and saying, And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lemas sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge. Filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection,
1: Verse 54 says, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Awe is a, it's a hard emotion to define. It is, something like, it is something like a kind of overwhelming mix of fear and wonder that comes from deep inside yourself. Um, you see or experience something out here that is so... Um, shakingly powerful and glorious Um, so grand and majestic and sublime and beautiful before your eyes that it it catches your breath and roots you to the spot and reduces you to silence you're awestruck Um, I remember being on holiday in the south of France a couple of summers ago uh, Meg, me, the kids and a friend called Dan we were staying in a place in the middle of nowhere um, right down in the south there baking hot French countryside middle of August um, we got through another day of baguette eating with the children. Um, they'd gone to bed. We'd had an evening meal. And about 11 o'clock at night, we went outside um, onto the patio and sort of looked out over the French countryside and looked up above us. And, and above you, this enormous sort of blanket of billions upon billions of stars. Um, no light pollution. You can see all of them. Um, there's an arc going across the top of the sky, um, which is the Milky Way, um, our galaxy. And I think what you can see is us. Uh, that's the sort of disk going around, and we're a tiny pinprick of a planet um, in this small galaxy. Um, you see something like that, and uh, we stopped talking, and we, and we laid down on the flagstones uh, and just gazed up and watched. And When you... When you have, it's so vivid to me, when you have an experience like that, you're out in a thunderstorm, you see the Grand Canyon, something so enormous before you, you suddenly feel very small um, and put in your place. It stops you fidgeting, stops you worrying about what you're doing tomorrow. Um, In a sense, you you feel alive, Um, almost as though we were created to be awestruck by something or someone outside of us. Um, We've just had read to us the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If you've been with us over this past year, Matthew's Gospel to this point has been really crystal clear about uh, why Jesus has come and why he dies. The angel said to Joseph, um, even before his birth, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um, He will come as a saviour promised beforehand. Um, Later on, Jesus spells out what his death will achieve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, Later on, in Matthew 26, just before his arrest, Jesus drinks wine with his disciples at the Last Supper and says, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Even before we get to the narrative of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we're told he will die a death for us as a ransom payment. His blood will be poured out so our sins might be forgiven. We know that in advance. That's what he will do for us and for everyone who trusts in him. And yet, Matthew sees fit to lay before us in these last chapters um, in, in slow and clear and almost brutal detail The experience of Jesus as he suffers. Matthew wants us today to be drawn in, if you like, to these events. Almost to to feel as though we're there. To hear and smell and taste on our, our lips something of what the Lord Jesus Christ went through. Something of what his death achieves. Maybe it is only as we get to grips with the real reality of what happened there on that Good Friday will we stand with a centurion and be in awe of this man, God. So, as we come back to Matthew 27, um, three comments I want to make about the sufferings and the death of Jesus. We are going to see him physically broken, socially rejected. And forsaken by his God. First off, in these verses, the Lord Jesus Christ, physically broken. Um, Even before our passage today, Matthew prepares us for what is to come. Jesus talks of his blood being poured out, Um, Judas receives blood money. In chapter 27, verse 24, Pilate says, I am innocent of this man's blood. And all the people answered in verse 25, his blood be upon us and our children. Blood speaks of a violent end and life poured out. That's what we're to expect as we come to this scene. And in part, Matthew doesn't spare us from the physical hurt he goes through. In chapter 27, verse 26, Pilate releases for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivers him to be crucified. Um, you're scourged with a, <clears throat> with a multi-lashed whip with bits of bone and metal in it. It is, it is there, it's designed uh, to flay your back and tear your skin. In verses 27 to 31, the already scourged Jesus... Is tossed around um, like a plaything amongst the battalion of soldiers. Let me read verses 27 to 31. See how, see how passive Jesus is. Um, see what they do to him. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. He's like a passive piece of meat doing nothing as they do this to him. Um, thorns into his scalp and spat on and struck on his head. And then after all that, led away to be crucified. <clears throat> um, it's said sometimes that uh, we're not the, the moment of crucifixion is not described for us because um, that's not significant. I, I think, in fact, Matthew's readers are so fully aware of what crucifixion involves that it doesn't need spelling out. Um, They hold the body of Jesus down and nails are driven through his hands into the crosspiece. His feet are nailed into the upright and the cross is then hoisted up for Jesus to hang there, naked and bleeding and gasping for breath. Um, One writer says of crucifixion, it is the most cruel method of execution ever practised. It deliberately delayed death until maximum torture had been inflicted. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. He's the Son of God come to earth, and yet here he is, physically broken. Um, A 19th century bishop, J.C. Ra wrote this. The most savage tribes, in their refinement of cruelty, could hardly have heaped more agonizing tortures on an enemy than were heaped on the flesh and bones of our beloved master. Never let it be forgotten that he had a real human body, a body exactly like our own, just as sensitive, just as vulnerable, just as capable of feeling intense pain, and then let us see what that body endured. Um, Let me just ask simply, has that sunk in for you before? Um, The physical reality... Of the Lord Jesus being mocked and whipped and crucified. Come to another angle in the text here. Yes, physically broken, but there is more. Secondly, see the Lord Jesus Christ socially rejected. Uh, it's true, isn't it, that, um, that loneliness, a, a kind of deep loneliness, is such a curse for us. Um, you can experience loneliness when you're, when you're by yourself, of course. You can experience loneliness, actually, in a, in a busy city or a bulging family or a packed canteen. Um, a sense of sort of abandonment. Um, no one hears me. No one cares for me. Flannery O'Connor was a 20th century writer, and in her book Wise Blood, there's a terribly lonely character... Um, called Enoch Emery there's a scene in which the the 18 year old Enoch gets in a queue with some children uh, to shake hands with a man in a gorilla suit quote there were only two children in front of him by now, the first one shook hands and stepped aside, Enoch's heart was beating violently the child in front of him finished and stepped aside and left him facing the ape who took his hand with an automatic motion It was the first hand that had been extended to Enoch since he'd come to the city. It was warm and soft. For a second he only stood there clasping it. Then he began to stammer. My name's Enoch Emery. I attended the Bible Academy. I work at the city zoo. And his voice cracked. The star leaned forward and a change came in his eyes. An ugly pair of human ones moved closer and squinted at Enoch from behind the celluloid pair. You go to hell. A surly voice said, low but distinctly, and the hand was jerked away. Enoch's humiliation was so sharp and painful. Desperate for a warm and soft hand, rejected. Here in the crucifixion account, in the midst of Jesus' overwhelming physical pain, he hangs absolutely alone with all the world bar none against him. And even before his trial, the disciples had left him and fled. Battered by this battalion of soldiers, he's a single figure in the middle, not a friendly eye. And hanging helplessly at this point, the moment when he most needs comfort, he experiences only rejection. See that happening in verse 39 on And those who passed by as he was being crucified derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Just see what's going on? Around him, every single voice, a voice of harsh abuse. You go to hell, they say to him. No human touch, no sympathy or comfort, abandoned by the ones he came to save. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus speaks of hell as a place of outer darkness, um, the burning rubbish tip outside the gates, (coughs) a place of no community or friendship, but isolation and misery. That is what the Lord Jesus is experiencing here. Physically broken, socially abandoned, and yet there is something even deeper and darker that he goes through. Because thirdly, on the cross, Jesus Christ is God forsaken. Let me read verses 45 and 46. <coughs> now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" That is, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Darkness at noonday over the land in the Bible speaks of the fierce anger and judgment of God. Um, A judgment that is poured out and funneled down onto this one bleeding head. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. It is not a polite shout for help. He is screaming at this point in agony. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken simply means deserted and left desolate. So at this moment of darkness, God the Father, the giver of every good gift, deserts Jesus Christ. He withdraws into the darkness. Um, If you like, he severs every cord of kindness and blessing. And Jesus experiences only curse. I think it's hard almost, hard, almost impossible to grasp the agony of what the Lord Jesus goes through at this point. And because the, in a relationship, the pain of rejection when someone cuts you off matches the, the intimacy of the relationship you once enjoyed. A sort of silly example. Um, imagine, you, imagine you hop on the guided busway at Orchard Park and you sit down next to a stranger and you start to get chatting with them. Um, and as, as the bus is driving along, you start to impress them with your stimulating conversation and they, they enjoy getting to know you. Everything's going well. Say at the next bus stop, someone else gets on and your new mate recognises them and says, sorry, I've got to go and chat to him and leaves you on your own. How do you feel at that point? Obviously, they've made an error in not wanting to get to know you better. Um, But the abandonment doesn't hurt for that long, does it? It shouldn't do. Say you've been friends with someone for a month or so, or a few months. Um, Maybe you go to a new school and you start to get to know someone, and you spend lots of time together, and it's all going well. Um, And then they decide after a term they're going to leave you and join another bunch of friends, and you're left alone. That hurts more. Or say you've been married for 40 years, and then the day comes when the one you've loved turns around and says, I'm leaving you now. See what we're saying? The greater the intimacy, the greater the agony of separation. This is the point. The Lord Jesus Christ has only ever known deep and utter intimacy with the God the Father. At the very start of Matthew's Gospel in chapter 3, Jesus is baptised and a voice comes from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. This man, this man God, has always and for all eternity experienced the Father's delight and happiness with him, bathing and enveloping him. There doesn't exist a more intimate relationship than theirs. Now hear him screaming, and every cord cut. At this moment, as he hangs on the cross, physically broken, socially abandoned and deserted, and forsaken by his Father, in his body on the tree, the Lord Jesus Christ suffers the deaths and the horrors of hell. What is it about the crucifixion that pulls me up short? Um, What is it about reading the narrative of his death that sort of hits me afresh? It does pull me up short, you know. Um, I've been a Christian for 19 years. I know what happened on that day. I I heard about it. I believed in his death for me. And yet, there's some sense in which the real events of his crucifixion, I, I almost hide my face from them sometimes um, in my mind I can, I can sanitize what happened the, the cross can become for me a sort of clean and neat doctrine up here um, that I can package up and sign up to and assent to um, when I do that I, I talk about his death and the cross so lightly of course he died for me and I sing a song in church and it's uplifting. And then I'll have a cup of tea and I'll get on with mumbling about how busy life is and how stressed I am. It's almost as though, it's almost as though I refuse sometimes to contemplate the full terrible horror of it. And I wonder, I wonder if that's because I know that the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ expose me. Um, they expose firstly the shallowness of my discipleship. I'm really happy to follow the king. I want to be a Christian. And yet, what does the Lord Jesus Christ demand of those who would come after him? Answer, that I take up my cross and follow him. When I get to grips with the crucifixion, what is the Lord Jesus Christ asking of me? That I let go of self-preservation and an easy life and a, tidy family and church and crucify my desires and bleed and spend myself in the service of my God, a life patterned on his. I almost want to put a barrier between me and him and that. Not just that though, were I to really get to grips with the horrors of his suffering, you know what would have to go in my life. The sheen of respectability, the kind of desire for acceptability. And because the agonies of the Lord Jesus force us to confront the deep, deep offence of our sins and the terrible cost paid for our forgiveness. Do you see that? Because, and this is the awful glory of the cross, all of this that he went through is for us and for our salvation. And the Lord Jesus Christ bleeds like this, not for his own sins, but for mine. He dies for the sins of the world. He dies for the sins of every single person who will put their trust in him. See, what is happening here is this. My my every casual offence this week... My every, my every self-obsessed and God-denying thought and word and deed is lifted off me and planted onto him. The wrath of God that should envelop me is poured out on him, and this is what it looks like. Every wound and hole in him, every thorn in his scalp, every drop of blood spilt, every gasping breath, he is paying the price for sin. He screams... <coughs> And is forsaken by his father that I need never suffer the same. See, that is the infinite cost of the, of, the, of the cross. That is its glory. Were I to get that, it would undo me. How could I live half-heartedly? How could I stand up and be proud in the face of that? And the wonderful thing is that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ works. My eternal reality really has been changed. I think that's what's going on in verse 51 onwards. As Jesus yields up his spirit, in Matthew 27 verse 50, it's as though a, it's as though a power is released that rocks creation and shouts out loud, there is life and forgiveness open to you through his death. Do you see how it's uh, written? Verse 50, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, look, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. This thick temple curtain, this sign of of no entry, separating the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, from the rest of the temple, is torn apart from top to bottom, saying to us, you can enter freely. The Lord Jesus Christ is cut off from his Father, and now you may go in. In verse 52, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Lord Jesus bleeds and dies, and now bodies can be raised because death no longer has a hold on people. You can know resurrection life forever. As we come to a close this morning, let me ask, what do you do in the face of the death of Jesus? How do you respond to this remarkable event In verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with fear, with awe, and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Awe. You see an event so powerful and so glorious, so terrible and so beautiful that it puts you in your place and roots you to the spot and makes you feel alive. See, we were created to be awestruck by the glory of Jesus Christ crucified. So this morning, as you come face to face with him, will you kneel in humble faith before this saviour? Will you give your life to sing his praise? Let me lead us in a prayer together. Almighty God, this is a moment in history of a remarkable, uh, a remarkable event. So hard for us to um, see what the Lord Jesus Christ endured. We praise you for his sufferings, for how he stood so passively before his creatures and allowed himself to be pierced and slain. We praise and thank you humbly that he died for us and for our salvation. Our Father, the moment happened when you turned your face away and he experienced only curse and all of that so that we might be welcomed in. Please would you, please would you help us to so grasp the wonder of this event that we would be struck again and that we would be lost in wonder and praise. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.